In today's podcast, we find out when you should and when you shouldn't buy ripe fruit. We learn not to wear white in parts of Asia. Well, unless you're dead. We discover that Mary had her seasonal color analysis done, and pretty much she's a winter for all eternity. And we get two easy suggestions for Advent, all on the way to answering the question, is Advent biblical? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. So, is Advent biblical? Well, no, it's not. Not at any point anywhere in the Bible does the Bible mention the season of Advent. Not even remotely hint at the season of Advent. I met a bishop one time who was well into his 90s, but still sharp as a tack, and he was leading a retreat I was a part of. And he started out by telling us his age. He said, look, folks, I know you're standing there looking at me and you're wondering, man, how old is this guy? And so I'm going to tell you before you even have to ask, I'm 95 years old, and at my age, I don't even buy unripe bananas. Everybody started to laugh at this point, and I always thought it was really clever. And it also relates to our question today. You see, if you don't think you're going to be around for very long, there are just certain things you don't do. There are certain plans you don't waste your time making. And when we look back at the people who wrote Scripture, and were forming the early church, they weren't in their 90s, but they sure didn't think they were going to be around much longer. Many of them, in those first decades after Jesus' death and resurrection, believed that Jesus was coming back in just a matter of months, weeks, or even days. And so preparing a church calendar wouldn't have made a lot of sense for any of them. So not only does the name Advent not appear in the Bible, You'd be hard-pressed really to find anything said by the early church that hinted at their expectation of their creation in the future of a church calendar, because they're expecting that Jesus is going to come back and take them along to their future life in heaven. So it's not going to be for several hundred years later that this liturgical season would be created by the church. At this point, the scriptural purists out there listening in the podcast audience, and what true believer doesn't want to be a scriptural purist? Now, everybody wants to believe that they are interpreting scripture the way it really should be interpreted, right? So some of you may well be thinking, well, that's good enough for me. Jesus didn't start it. The disciples didn't start it. It's not scriptural. Why do we even need it? We need to get rid of this thing called Advent. What more do we need? What other proof do we need that this season should surely meet its end? Okay, okay, that's a little harsh and you got a little fired up there. But anyway, there's certainly a logic to that position. But that would make for, once again, a short, boring podcast, and we're not going to end there. And you've certainly guessed by this point that that's not where I'm going to land either. Strangely, Having said that there are no biblical sources for Advent, I'm now going to argue that it may well be the most biblical of all Christian seasons. 
and particularly for us today. First, a very brief history of Advent. And of course, we'll go a little further back. We're going to start with a brief mention of the season, not Advent, but the season before Easter, which is called Lent. So Easter, of course, is the day on which Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus after his crucifixion three days earlier. Easter is the holiest day of the year for Christians. If you get anything from this podcast about Christianity, please get straight that Easter, not Christmas, is the most important day on the Christian calendar. Easter is the holiest day for Christians, and many in the Christian community prepare for it through this solemn season called Lent, which leads up to Easter. And it's been traditional for Christians for generations to observe a season of penitence and fasting during the 40 days of Lent, starting with Ash Wednesday and then ending with the Saturday that is just prior to Easter. Now, if we move on to Advent, some quirky terminology that you may or may not know, but that's particular to some churches. Some churches use terms like bishop and diocese. Bishop is a rank of minister, a rank of priest, and diocese is the territory over which the bishop has charge. Think of them as sort of the equivalent of the words governor and state. It's not exact, but if they're new terms to you and you're not familiar with them, they'll be helpful equivalents. It's believed that in the 4th century, the bishop of the diocese of Tours, which is in France, issued an edict stating that everyone, and in this case, everyone, meaning his diocese and the people he had charge over there, would fast for three days a week, beginning on St. Martin's Day. Now, lots of days during the year have a designation as kind of a celebration of that saint on day. So St. Martin's Day really is just their way of saying November 11th. So what he said is beginning on November 11th, everybody in his diocese is going to fast three days a week up until Christmas, but not including Christmas. Now, it seems that this custom remained fairly local until roughly about the 6th century, when by that time it had begun to grow and spread across Europe. And it is sometimes the reason that in ancient times, Advent was called Lent of St. Martin's, because it used to begin on his feast day. Now, let me just be really clear. I went to seminary. I've grown up in the church all my life. My father is an Episcopal minister, and I have never heard the term Lent of St. Martin's in my entire life. Matter of fact, If you'd asked me 48 hours earlier, I'd never heard this term. I just, as I was doing some research for this podcast, I discovered that term for the very first time. But anyway, in the very early days of Advent, it was sometimes called Lent of St. Martin because when it first started, it began on St. Martin Day. Now, Advent is not that long anymore. It doesn't begin on November 11th anymore. It now begins four Sundays prior to Christmas Day. So most of the time, it runs roughly concurrent to the month of December. The first Sunday of Advent can be as early as November 27th and as late as December 3rd. So on average, it falls roughly around, as I said, the first of December somewhere. Also, for many of us in the church, Advent is very tied to color. Very much the way humanity has adopted various colors to mean various things which is why we prefer the color black in our society for mourning or for formal occasions, and why we put on bright colors for spring, 
and why there always seems to be a discussion that ensues between my wife and her friends as to when it's appropriate to wear white shoes and have the rules changed regarding Labor Day. Interestingly, these views of color change from culture to culture. In the West, we associate white with purity and goodness, hence the color of a wedding dress. But in some Asian countries, white is associated with death, mourning, and bad luck. In Egypt, wearing white can show you are of a high-ranking status. Now, in many liturgical churches, we've adopted colors in much the same way as society has. It's helpful to remember that though there's a great deal of similarity from one Christian tradition to another, just like the countries I mentioned differ, so do these churches occasionally differ from each other when it comes to colors used for particular days or seasons. Also, there's nothing sacred about these colors. We don't believe that these colors have mystical powers or are mandated by God, although, you know, if we change from one type of purple to another type of purple for Lent, you can hear some of the members of our church argue about them as if they were mandated by God, but they weren't. Purple has historically been the color of Lent and is associated as the color of penitence. And therefore, when Advent started, it became the color of Advent. Many churches still use purple as their primary color for Advent. In my church tradition, the Episcopal and Anglican tradition, we've started moving away from purple, and in many places we now use blue. Now, I grew up with the color purple during Advent, but changing to blue is something I have liked, which is strange, because changing traditions of our childhood, particularly those revolving around holidays, can be so difficult. But I like the change from purple to blue, and it's been helpful to me personally. So let me talk about that a little bit. First, let's talk about the color blue. If you listened to my last podcast, I asked the question, who owns Thanksgiving? Well, in terms of ownership, at least one case is clear. In the history of church art, particularly in stained glass windows, there is one person who owns the color blue. Obviously, we don't know what the disciples looked like, so there were various clues that stained glass artists used pretty consistently through the ages to let people who were looking at their work know who someone was. So, Peter often had a set of keys in his hands, since we often refer to Peter having the keys to the kingdom, to let people know, oh, that's Peter. John, the disciple, is often the only disciple who doesn't have a beard because he's believed to have been the youngest. In the case of Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's identified by a color. The color blue belongs to Mary. If you're looking at a stained glass window in a church and the woman you're looking at is wearing blue, chances are that's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, this isn't necessarily common knowledge. I didn't learn it until after seminary. But learning this little fact was surprisingly helpful to me. First, as I said, it helped me more quickly figure out who was in religious art. But also, more importantly, it changed my appreciation of Advent. 
You see, when I was growing up, Advent was just another Lent. As a kid, Lent was a time of fasting, self-denial, and let's be honest, misery. And Advent was little more than a Lent light. And sometimes as a kid, it didn't feel that light. Matter of fact, I think as a kid, I perceived of Advent as some sort of conspiracy, something adults invented to delay the arrival of Christmas. But the blue of Advent helped me change my understanding of Advent. Because this is not a season about self-denial. This season is not like Lent at all. As Mary approaches the birth of her son, she, like all pregnant women, is caught in that time of expectation and preparation. I think every mother, every parent gets the description of that time before the birth as a season of expectation and preparation. Even if you adopted your child, you know very clearly what a time of expectation and preparation looks and feels like before your child came to you. The blue of Advent reminds me that we have entered into the Mary season, the season of expectation and preparation. Okay, fine, but why is this the most biblical of all church seasons, Dan? If something is biblical only by being explicitly mentioned in the Bible, then this is not a biblical season. But let's remember for a moment the major theme playing out through much of Scripture. If you look at the stories, say, of the Old Testament, I would say the prevailing theme running through those writings is the story of a willful people with a short attention span being reminded to keep their focus on God when everything around them is drawing their attention and their loyalty away. That's the age-old story of Scripture, and that's very much the purpose of this season of Lent. Because you and I live in a world in which we think preparing for the birth of Christ is arguing with Starbucks about whether or not their cups are appropriately seasonal enough. During this time in which Mary was great with child, no one, not one, person was congratulating her on the birth of her child. Can you imagine walking up to a woman who's eight and a half months pregnant and saying, hey, congrats on the birth. By the way, in our house, we're so excited about your upcoming birth of your child. We've put up decorations. We're already singing happy birthday songs every day. That mother would say, wait, wait, what? Don't you dare celebrate the birth of my child before he's born. And yet we, the faithful, literally spend weeks before the actual event, singing, celebrating, wishing each other good tidings in the name of the birth that hasn't happened yet. Advent is perhaps the most biblical of all seasons because though it is mentioned nowhere in the Bible, it is a season that's trying desperately to get us to place the story, the biblical story, at the center of our lives during those weeks. Advent is the church creating a time before the celebration so that we don't get ahead of ourselves. Advent is our time to remember Mary and be like her in this season. Spend this season in a time of 
expectation and preparation. Now, obviously that's kind of difficult in the world in which we live, so we can't go off and live in a monastery. And I'll admit, the cultural Christmas train has left the station. There's no stopping it. So, so isn't all of this impossible? If you're a Christian and you want to give this a try, I'm going to make two suggestions. And both are easy. And I think both can be powerful if you give them a try. The first one, and this is the one that gets the most response for people, just see if you can refrain from saying Merry Christmas until it's Christmas. Now, whenever I say that, I get people to say, wait, what? That's impossible. I get challenged on this one a lot because people say to me, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. That is ridiculous. So I'm walking down the street and I see an old friend and they come up to me and they say, hey, Merry Christmas to you and your family. And I'm supposed to stare them down and make them feel uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, that does present a rather humorous image. But no, that's not what I'm saying. There are lots of ways to reply that aren't weird and uncomfortable. You just have to think about them beforehand. Someone says, hey, Dan, Merry Christmas. And I'm likely to say, and blessings to you, my friend. And nobody turns to me and says, what? No Yuletide greeting? I've never had anybody get hostile with me over that. Nobody ever gets angry with me when I say, and blessings to you and this holy season as well. Never. I just am refraining from saying Merry Christmas. But I find some sort of special response so that people feel honored. Remember. Your goal is not to make the world feel awkward, just to create some space of expectation in your own life. Now, number two, the second challenge is about creating some literal space. Pick a place in your life that is Christmas free. I kind of like the idea of the dinner table. When we sit down to dinner, we will have an advent wreath at our table and no decorations other than that on the table. It will be a Christmas-free zone. Sure, in the next room, we have our decorations up, but this little space at our table is our Christmas-free zone, our zone of expectation, our time of Advent. Pick a place that you will make your Advent space. It could even be in your car if you have a daily commute. Perhaps you'll avoid Christmas carols, and this is your time you won't turn on the radio. This will be your time of quiet of focusing on the season. And that's it. Just those two small ways trying to focus on Advent. See if you can refrain from saying Merry Christmas. Okay, for those of you living other places, or Happy Christmas, depending on where you live. And then pick a place in your life that is your Advent zone. Now I can hear some people already. I can hear people getting ready to respond to me. Oh, oh, I'd like to. I'd like to. But the world is so busy and so chaotic. I have so much going on. The things you describe, I can't do them. It is just too hard. And I get that. And then I'm reminded, in the very first season of Advent, the very first season of expectation, Mary was nine months pregnant and went 
for a 90-mile donkey ride. No, no, what we're talking about is not hard. Blessings to you, my friend. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Be sure to check me out on Facebook. Just search for Sky Pilot Faith Quest. Thanks for listening to Sky Pilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.